Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. Uh, today's podcast, we have got uh, Dr. James Goss from Motor Design joining us. He is an expert in motor design, and uh, Motor Design is a company of, I think, the leading uh, manufacturer, developer of design software for electrical machine design, particularly in the high-performance automotive space. So James is an absolute wealth of information on machine design and development and software tools, and also, you know, he's kind of seeing what's happening in the industry before the industry seeing what's happening in the industry. So it's really exciting to get James on the show. So it's great to have James Goss here today from Motor Design uh, to talk to us about his background and career and about the really uh, fascinating work they do at MDL. So thanks for joining us today, James. Great. Thank you, Ryan. Could you just start off by telling us about yourself and, and a bit about your background and where you're from? Yeah, no problem. So uh, I'm obviously from the UK. Uh, I grew up in in Hampshire and, and the South Coast. And um, I guess I, I started my uh, engineering education with a systems engineering degree uh, at the University of Warwick. Uh, it was kind of a general engineering degree, but with a kind of a focus on the electrical engineering and some of the programming and computer side of things as well. Okay. Um, and then, and then after that, I, I went straight into uh, an engineering doctorate uh, at the University of Bristol. So I came out of um, my undergraduate, and I looked at, you know, lots of different options. But there seemed to be limited career options at the time. It was sort of going right in the middle of the financial crash, and and the only sort of obvious path for um, a graduate engineer was in the defence industry, and it it wasn't something that. Um, really motivated me. So I took up this engineering doctorate at the University of Bristol, uh, and that was uh, you know, quite generally defined, but it was to do with the design of electric motors for electric vehicle applications. Oh, wow. And, and was that something that had been of interest to you before that point? Um, it ha- a little bit, I guess, but actually, I think at the time I was more focused on uh, renewable energy, and that was that was the thing I wanted to do. But I saw this opportunity and thought, well, that, well, that sounds that sounds interesting. Uh, I mean, at the time it was it was about ten years ago, so two thousand and nine, uh, and not many people were taking electric vehicles particularly seriously. I mean, it was nope. it was really pre <laughs> pre Tesla. Yep, yep. Um, milk and, float uh, jokes uh, uh, all around. <laughs> Lots of jokes yeah. about milk floats and yeah. things like that. It, exactly. Uh, I think like the, the classic electric vehicle was the, the Mitsubishi IMEV. Um, so yeah, no, nobody yeah. thought this was something that was, uh, they were going to be driving in anytime soon. Yeah. Um, I thought it sounded interesting and, and I went for this sort of opportunity. Oh, wow. And that led you to Bristol. And an engineering doctorate, that's, they were quite big for a while, weren't they? The NGDs. Um, they're not, yeah. don't so much do them anymore, I don't think. Yeah, so the the idea with an engineering doctorate was um, 
that you would you would have an industry sponsorship from a, from a company, yeah. uh, and you would spend some time in the university and sometimes some time in the company, uh, and your your work would be on that boundary between industry and academia. Ah, okay. So, in, uh, who was your um, industrial sponsor in that case? So the industrial sponsor was Motor Design Limited. So it's the same company ah, that I okay. that I work for now. At the time, it was a lot smaller. So there was there was only I think three full time employees at the company at the time. Wow, so quite a big jump then for you in terms of um, you're looking at your future career. Not only are you stepping into something which um, is far from a, a certainty in the marketplace, but you're doing it um, with a very, very small company. Did you see that as being a big risk or was it something that excited you or did you just not think about it? I did. To be honest, I didn't think about it too much, really. I was just uh, interested in uh, the technology and the engineering and, and uh, it was an early stage in your career. So I guess you don't think of it. Uh, as much of a risk you're just exploring things and knowing you know you can go somewhere else if, if it doesn't work out but thankfully it seems to have done so <laughs> yeah yeah you do it you understand that's, that's pretty good in terms of um starting life as the uh, as an eng doc with the company and you're now the the ceo yeah that's um, a pretty so good guess- career progression <laughs> Yeah, so I guess I can explain a little bit about how that how that happened. Yeah, maybe it's worth talking firstly about what the company does, uh, just to give people a bit of background so they can kind of uh, understand. Yeah, uh, you know things. So, yeah, so Motor Design Limited are, are a, a company that um, specialise in the design and the simulation of electric motors. Um, and, the, and the main business is the development of a software tool that's used for the design of electric motors. So it's called MotorCAD. Uh, basically, engineers and companies use this software tool to input designs and do simulations and predict uh, you know, how the, the design is going to perform. Uh, and that could be how hot it's going to get, how much torque or power it's going to produce, yep. um, and even some of the mechanical behaviors uh, you know, how much stress is there going to be on the on the laminations, or how efficient the the motor is going to be over a drive cycle, or something? But that that's effectively what we do: is we develop this software product um, and sell it to engineering companies such as you know automotive OEMs like Jaguar Land Rover um, or uh, Tier One suppliers, I guess you know, like yourself, uh, Avid, or uh, people like Bosch as well. And so my task when I was sort of started the engineering doctorate was to take what were the, the cutting edge or at the time the simulation tools and try to design an electric motor for an EV application, a, a pure electric uh, battery electric vehicle operation. Uh, and I guess what I found is that these tools were not at all designed for this. Um, <laughs> and they were actually, you know, m- really focused on industrial motors, which yeah. which op- tend to operate, you know, pumps and fans, and they operate at constant speed with much simpler control. Uh, and it was actually a real challenge trying to do a design of a motor using these tools. Yeah. So that that kind of gave me a natural progression into, into changing them, developing them, and uh, putting new methods in and developing new techniques to simulate and design electric motors, but with a focus uh, on the electric vehicle uh, automotive applications. And uh, I hadn't quite realized that that was so. So, MotorCAD as a product had existed at that point, but was more focused on 
kind of industrial applications? Yeah, I, I guess the whole sort of electric machine simulation industry was um, right. uh, well, kind of focused on these industrial applications because that's the history uh, of electric machine simulation and. You know, really, there was very few people trying to do the electric vehicle uh, propulsion traction motor designs, so the tools hadn't hadn't been developed in that way. Right, and and you you kind of learned and developed all of that the uh, improvements through your yeah. engineering doctorate. Were they big challenges, you know, to overcome? Uh, I, I, yeah, I guess in, in some ways there were. I mean, we obviously have a team here. It wasn't all just me doing this. There was there was a team, you know, and, uh, experts from uh, all different areas contributing to develop this uh, this product. So yeah, there, there was lots of lots of challenges as you, as you go along the way. Um, but that's that's part of the fun of engineering, I <laughs> yeah. guess, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, we we kind of see this now. It's something that is not very well understood. The di- the difference between the kind of low performance industrial motors and then what we're what we're trying to do with these very very highly stressed high performance super cost optimized machines for automotive um i do find a lot of people don't kind of recognize i mean it's almost an entirely different engineering discipline and we've find um people find it really quite hard to go from one to the other some some people manage Mm -hmm. um but particularly in the automotive side, because it's such a new thing, there aren't loads of people out there who've been doing it for the last 20 years because it didn't exist 20 years ago. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, and, you know, in some ways it's, it's a different language as well. Some of the things that you're talking, um, you know, particularly on the control side as well, how the machines are controlled and operated, you need to understand that really to do the design. Yeah. Uh, properly so yeah we, we do have this but i mean a, a lot of the electric machine designers we worked with uh, or we work with are uh, historically sort of a, a industrial uh machine designers and they've they've you know developed further and started to look at some of these uh, higher performance applications so yeah uh, the principles are the same it's just that you're pushing things a lot harder now uh, and that's also where the simulation tools come in because you really need to uh, designed to the, to the limits of performance. Right. And in the last um, 10 years, MDL has, has grown massively as a result of, of this. Do you, do you want to just kind of um, fill in the gap in terms of where you guys are now as a business? Yeah. So, uh, well, I guess once I came out of the doctorate mm. uh, uh, and I started working full time uh, at MDL, uh, one of the first projects that I was involved in uh, and was working with it was a was a collaborative project with Jaguar Land Rover, uh, and this was um, it was produ- producing a range of different prototype vehicles. But the flagship one was this full electric Range Rover Evoque. So it was um, it, it was a quite familiar setup actually. Uh, if you if you think look back now, where you've got uh, electric motor on um, on each axle, yeah, uh, and the kind of the battery uh, under the floor, this kind of skateboard structure. Um, but that that was at the time, you know, a project that was quite exciting and, and fun to be involved in. Uh, and obviously, a lot of the tools are, are developed on that, and and that kind of uh, set us on that that path as well. And uh, that project, actually, many of the elements of that were taken into the into the iPace. Wow! So it was really the start of JLR. Uh, you know, doing this full battery electric vehicle project. So when when about was um, that with an electric Evoke? Yeah, so uh, I'm trying to remember exactly. I mean, it was it was around 
2012, I guess, wow. 2013, something like that. So not not something that many people would um, even have known that they were working on at the time, I guess. Yeah, well, it was just a prototype vehicle, I guess, mm. to to see what could could be possible. But it was, you know, very interesting research and uh, really really good to be involved in that, and gave me a really good insight as well as to, you know, we developed the tools here, but to actually uh, apply them on a real project uh, in an actual design environment, and then. Uh, ha- have to develop a vehicle. It gave you a really good insight into how that happens and what the sort of needs and requirements are. So we've kind of taken that uh, and really pushed forward and developed those tools. Uh, and, and MotorCAD, you know, has, has got a lot more uh, functionality and capability than uh, back, at, you know, when I when we started doing this. Yeah. I'd say now probably the majority of automotive OEMs and tier ones are using our software tools in some in some way to design the next generation of, of hybrid electric vehicles. Um, so the company, uh, like I mentioned, was about th- three full-time employees in 2009 or when I started, three or four, and now we're up to to over 30. Um, but that's uh, you know not where where it's going to stop, and we keep growing very quickly. No, that's uh, a pretty um, fantastic success story, really, to go. From a couple of people, because you're in, you're based in the northwest of England. Yes, so we're based in Wrexham, so it's actually just in Wales. Okay, so in Wales, uh, yeah, <laughs> known for being a hotbed of software development um, activity. Yeah, an amazing success story in terms of now, now, and it certainly, I mean, everyone that we work with knows knows your product. I haven't come across anyone who doesn't use it, and you, normally this kind of thing is the territory of the mega corporations you know you're kind of um siemens's and uh that kind of thing but it really is a small Mm -hmm. british company you've managed to carve out a massive uh very successful niche for yourselves yeah yeah no i think um i mean obviously we do have competition from uh, companies like siemens uh and altair um but we really we really focus on the application which is the electric machine design and, and being experts in the design and simulation of electric machines. Whereas I think a lot of these other sort of larger software companies are more focused on physics uh, and generating tools that are, you know, cross uh, different physical domains. So they have electromagnetic solvers, CFD thermal solvers, and there'll be general tools that you can model sort of any electromechanical or electromagnetic device whereas we are a very specific, dedicated tool for the design of electric motors. So uh, the right product at the right time for a, an industry that was about to boom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all, all, of course, judgment and good planning on your part. Yeah, a little bit of luck, maybe, as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I, don't, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> Premeditated. So, so what kind of things are you guys doing now at um, at Motor Design? Where do you do you mainly concentrate on software development, or because you still do quite a bit of consulting work as well, don't you? In terms of machine development, yeah, yeah, and and research as well. So, you know, we're always trying to push the boundaries of electric motor design. So, developing, uh, you know, I guess new techniques for simulating and designing the machines. We, uh, yeah, we do consultancy projects, so people come to us with design specifications and, and we develop uh, designs to those specifications or explore different design configurations for them or compare different uh, choices. 
uh, and then obviously, you know, continuous development of, of the software. Uh, the more users we get, the more and more requirements we have for new bits of functionality uh, and new things to build into the software. So it just it just gets busier and there's more things to do. Right. Are you mainly, would you say, a software business now or mainly? I'd say m- mainly, yeah. I mean, the, the consultancy is very important. Um, uh, and, we, you know, we've got a really good team of electric machine experts here who work on the consultancy. Um, but the main core of our business is is the software development, definitely. Right. And that must give you a really um, a good kind of insight and reach into what is happening at the moment with with electrification being the one of the key tools that companies are using. I guess you would get a real sense for who is working on electrification, where teams are growing, where the effort is going in and, and all the kind of interesting stuff that's happening at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you, you do get a general sense. I mean, obviously, you know, there's a limited amount that companies want to share with you. Mm. Uh, uh, but yeah, you do get a good sense of uh, the effort and the growth uh, and the interest in, in certain areas and particular technologies are there any um key sort of observations that you've got about where, where the market is at at the moment from uh, from what you see yeah i i guess so um i mean we're, we're constantly being asked to new to, to look at new uh, electric vehicle powertrain concepts and, and different things um I, I guess we're seeing a move to more integrated electric drive units so this is where the motor, the power electronics, and the gearbox are all combined in, into a single unit. Right. Um, whereas maybe previously it was more, uh, you know, you deliver a motor, you deliver a separate box that does the electronics, and then and you've got a gearbox that's coupled to it. Uh, so now we're seeing more of an integration and, and also more sort of a design of those, of that, uh, electric drive unit as a whole right. uh, and trying to sort of make design decisions that uh, maximize the performance of that uh, or the size of that or, or, or the efficiency of that unit as, as a whole rather than just making individual choices at the component levels. Oh, right. And, and, and are you having to bring functionality for some of those other elements into your software or are you, how, yeah, how are you well, handling that? There's a mixture, I guess, between, you know, build building things in and, and coupling to, uh, you know, other people's tools as well. So, uh, you know, whether it's the gearbox or the power electronics, you know, obviously our, our expertise is always in the motor, but to, buy, to be able to bring in some aspects of the uh, those other elements or couple to other tools that do that uh, allows you to, to kind of do that integrated design. Wow. Does that mean, um, are you having to get involved in, in partnering with other software companies or is it more of a just making sure that you can pass data from um, product to product? Yeah, a, a bit of both. And uh, I think a recent development is people looking at the sort of system simulation standards uh, and there's some nice sort of standard interfaces uh, which are which have been defined, and that really helps because it means that everybody can work to one standard interface and then couple different models uh, together. Okay, so just um, that's completely new to me. Just tell me a little bit more about that. And, and when you say system, you mean as in modeling software? System? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dick. so um, I guess there's lots of system simulation tools, things yeah. like. Simulink, uh, which is uh, part of MATLAB or MathWorks, 
um, or GT Suite or Amasim, and these are all system simulators. Yeah. Um, and what you want to be able to do is take individual models from different components and connect them together. Uh, and there's a, there's a standard, I mean, it's called a, a functional mock-up interface or a functional mock-up unit, and that really defines what the input-output characteristics are. So it means I can plug my motor model into that, uh, and somebody else who's got a, 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 maybe a gearbox model or an power electronics model um, or, or a vehicle thermal cooling system model uh, and can connect these together in a seamless way without having to develop custom linkages between these these different supplied models i guess that probably highlights people really starting to think at a systems level in a much more sort of smart way about maximizing this the performance of the whole system rather than kind of discrete component engineering concentrating on the individual devices does that sound yeah yeah, yeah so i could give so maybe a, a very simple example yeah uh, is if you take the electric motor um, uh, and you want to make it as, as power dense as possible. So that's, you know, the smallest size for the most amount of power. You, you make it, sm- uh, you make it high speed motor. So, uh, motors are sized on their torque output, not on their power output. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and as power is the torque times your speed, if you increase the speed, uh, uh, and lower the torque, you can have a smaller motor for the same output power. Yeah. Um, that reduces the weight, reduces the packaging size, uh, and it's all good. However, that power has to be transferred to the wheels via a gearbox, uh, and the bigger the difference in the you know the the speed of my motor shaft and the wheel, yeah. uh, the higher my gear ratio needs to be, and the larger the gearbox is. Yeah. So you know what is the right number there? What's the right speed to choose that makes the motor small but doesn't create such a large or complicated uh, complicated gearbox and that's kind of a, a, a simple example of one of those systems levels trade-offs that you've got to try and make uh, and the only way of answering that is by doing detailed simulation at the concept level uh, and being able to decide well if I was to make the motor you know this much faster uh, with this much lower torque requirement how much smaller does it get compared to how much bigger does <clears throat> the gearbox get yeah we experience that quite a lot um that's a re- it's a huge topic, actually, um, big, big, big area. W- what do you think um, in terms of a lot of people say with a with a combustion engine product, there, there's a huge variation. You know, you, the engineering in the engine is massive. So therefore, you know, a difference between an Audi brand values and performance attributes and Jaguar Land Rover, it's it's huge. And, and kind of the engine defines the product. Whereas uh, for e-machines, I've heard some people say, well, you know, the e-machine, it's kind of, they, they're going to become standard. You know, you, you, an, an electric motor, there's not all that much that can differentiate between them and therefore we'll end up homing in on standards. And then other people say, no, 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 e-machines and um, electronics and the system, there's such a huge, you know, it's much more subtle and complex than that and you, you can't do it that way. Do you see a, a kind of trend of, of more, heading towards standardization or more divergence in terms of different performance requirements and machine types and system topologies? What, which way do you see it going? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think, I mean, I have heard that various times in the past. Um, I think what, what you've started to see when some of these uh, major brands have brought out electric vehicles on the market 
is actually that's that's not really the case and there's there is a huge difference between you know the drive cycle efficiency of a tesla model 3 the hyundai kona the audi e-tron uh, and the jaguar i-pace and they've all got a different balance um, of you know uh, aerodynamics and motor technologies and you know four wheel drive versus two wheel drive but there's there's definitely big differences there uh, and they're competing on those attributes so uh, and that those attributes are, are again absolutely clearly driving uh, you know purchasing decisions by consumers so I, I don't think that's the case I, I think there's lots of interesting things you can do with motors as well in powertrain configurations in terms of performance characteristics, torque vectoring, four-wheel drive. I, I don't know if it's going to be as, as strong as the internal combustion engine and, and the brand differentiation, but I, I think it's always still going to be there. Cool. Yeah. You mentioned something quite interesting there in terms of the, the, the manufacturers that have got product on the market at the moment. There's a huge range of efficiencies, and it's actually something that some of the more established brands i won't pick one because you can basically say it applies almost universally have been getting a bit of a hard yeah. time about recently and everyone obviously does the tesla comparison but then there's so hyundai are doing exceptionally well with efficiency at the moment mm-hmm. and, and tesla is obviously the benchmark for the larger vehicles what's your take on that you know why, why do you think that the established oems are so such a long way away i mean you sort of thir- 30-ish percent difference in efficiency between a Model S and some of the um, the competitor products. What do you think is driving mm-hmm. that? Is yeah. it is it as simple as good motor technology, or are there other thing other characteristics? Yeah, I, I guess it's uh, well m- motor technology choices as well. Um, I think one of the things that we see in the four wheel drive vehicles is you've got you know you've got a motor on each axle. Yeah. Um, and in terms of efficiency. Uh, well, a lot of the time, you know, normal, typical driving, say motorway cruising, you're, you're only really needing the torque from one of those motors. Uh, you know, the, the other one is, is effectively redundant uh, in, in terms of, you know, the difference between the sort of cruising case and the torque required for that versus the full output it is quite different. So if you use permanent magnet motors, um, for both of those, yeah. uh, then then they're constantly excited, and, and that means that you know even when they're not putting out outputting any torque, um, but they are rotating, you're generating losses uh, in the machine due to uh, you know the changing magnetic field, inducing eddy currents in the conductive components such as the electric steel laminations. Yeah, what you what you find with the Tesla is when they go to the four-wheel drive configuration, they actually use two different motor technologies. They use a permanent magnet motor on one of the axles, I I can't remember which one, uh, and an an induction machine on the other. And the induction machine is quite different to the permanent magnet machine in that um, the field on the rotor is induced during operation. Um, But if you're you're not uh, exciting the winding, there is no rotor field and you, you don't have really uh, hardly any uh, no-load losses. So that's that's sort of one example, I guess, of how you can make those different decisions uh, and you will end up with, uh, you know, different efficiency characteristics. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, the freewheeling, people have tried clutching motors out when they're not yeah. needed. I, I mean, in some ways, if you're splitting the power 
between two machines, you're kind of dividing the current and maybe you might be more efficient, but I guess the light in the very lightly loaded conditions, then uh, the problems these cars are just they're overmoted. Yeah, well, if if you take an efficiency map of um yeah, of a permanent magnet machine, I guess if mm. you look at the sort of medium to high speed and quite low torque, the efficiencies just won't be very good there. Uh, and actually, you want to move you want to move up a bit. You want to move up in the torque range. So by splitting it, uh, you'll you'll end up driving them both down to to lower efficiencies. Yeah. Um, which I guess is the same thing. It's just effectively you've got double the no-load losses that you would do if you if you only had one motor. So in a situation where they're highly loaded, it could be better. But in a situation where they're lightly loaded, it could be worse. Yes, yes. Do, do you think that's why machines with more reluctance in are starting to become quite common? Yes. I mean, uh, I guess most of the permanent magnet machines we see are, are rel- uh, have a have a significant component of reluctance torque. So, I mean, this reduces the amount of rare earth permanent magnet that you're using, uh, which is always good because it reduces the cost. Yeah. Uh, as you say, yeah, I mean, for these no load losses, they're going to be lower. Um, the power factors uh, are good uh, with those machines. So you tend to have good inverter utilization. So there's there's quite a few different reasons really why they make sense. And I'd say almost all of the electric vehicles out there have a sort of a permanent magnet machine that uses a significant amount of reluctance torque. Yeah, we were looking at difference between the Audis and Tesla and the new Taycan. And that actually the Taycan's got nice motor setup compared to a Model S, you know, with the IPM all round. Like like you're saying, it's not always as obvious as the you know induction machine is uh, is less good. But t- in the new cars, the Model Three Tesla's gone to an I- IPM motor at the front and the back with a varying amount of reluctance torque. In okay, uh, that's that's interesting. It's um, the Porsches there, but the Audi then has come to the market with um, induction machines front and rear. So that's uh, it's it's just kind of interesting yeah. seeing how it, this is all working out with the different manufacturers and and how they're going to yeah. get to to compete. Do you see any particular trends coming through from your work and the the kind of people that you're dealing with? Is there, is, is there any direction? Uh, what in, in terms of uh, electric motor technology? Well, I guess yeah. another thing I was going to say also is. Uh, the winding technologies are quite different. Um, right, okay. so there's a lot of interest in something called hairpin winding, uh, yeah. which is like uh, uh, bars, you know, big conductive bars that are used uh, to wind the, the machine. And these are good because they have, you know, very low DC resistance. So they they uh, have low low copper losses and they're very predictable as well in terms of uh, in a mass manufacturing environment. So uh, when you produce many of these machines, there's little variation in the performance, um, but they do have some drawbacks, which is uh, at higher speeds, higher frequencies, there's eddy currents induced in those bars uh, and they generate extra losses as well. So again, we see a bit of a mixture of that, different profiles and, and different manufacturers, but that's definitely um, a big trend as well at the moment is going towards these hairpin style windings. Much better than the, the kind of older type was the pull through or the slot insert windings that are externally formed and then kind of dragged into the stator slots mm-hmm. is yeah. is there a is there much on you know concentrated sort of segmented stator tooth winding is that an is that a viable alternative to hairpins do you think or well we see those in in um 
applications where there's very limited axial length. So you've got a very, very short machine. A good example is the plug-in hybrids. So where you've got the motor sort of sandwiched between the internal combustion engine uh, and the transmission. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in the, in the battery electric vehicles where you've got more space there, we don't really see the concentrated windings. Uh, having having a big impact. But I guess that there are, again, various different reasons for that. But one of the main reasons is that they don't utilize the, well, they don't generate anywhere near as much reluctance torque as the sort of distributed windings. Right. Uh, which means that you do end up just using more magnet to deliver the same torque. Uh, and if you see, if you look at a design with a concentrated winding, you'll always see it's got, you know, many, uh, much less uh, designed for a reluctance-based torque with multiple barriers uh, and magnet layers. And typically, it's only one magnet layer with quite a, a large magnet used. Oh, right. That's really interesting. So um, in the BEV space, I mean, it's, it's it seems like it's a complicated, there's not particularly a right or wrong answer, but there there is an awful lot of design considerations that you would have to take into or people are taking into account when they're they're trying to come up mm-hmm. with a machine choice in terms of what people are trying to get is it taking weight out or cost out of machines or more performance for this you know what what's the kind of general direction there are, are people focusing on materials optimization or yeah um i think this is one of the challenges we have is we've got competing objectives so we want to maximize our efficiency over a drive cycle we want our machine to be very small and we want it to be very cheap and uh you know all, all of those <laughs> objectives are conflicting really yeah so i guess a lot of what we're trying to do is allow people to to explore the design space you know, uh, evaluate using simulation, all these different design configurations and options and winding types and machine technologies, um, but be able to evaluate that trade-off. So understand what that trade-off looks like and how much efficiency can I gain if I increase my size a bit or what's my opportunity to um, reduce my cost at the expense of my uh, efficiency or something and allowing designers to be able to explore that space uh, and choose the uh, right balance of those competing objectives for their particular application. The kind of in- intuition would be that the battery is really expensive and yeah. the motors are much less expensive. So you might sacrifice a bit of motor cost so that I have a more expensive motor if it was going to get you better weight or efficiency to, to basically help you stretch out your battery performance a bit further. Is that, mm-hmm. do you think that's um, a, a sort of true statement or is that kind of? Yeah, 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 de- definitely. And I mean, this is why the majority of the majority of electric vehicles on the market are using permanent magnet machines is they're more efficient. So the, although the cost is higher, the, the, the efficiency, pay, the cost pays for itself in terms of the extra battery capacity that you would need to, to achieve the same range. Um, but there's, there is many other reasons as well, many other things that sort of weigh, weigh on these decisions. And packaging space is quite important as well, yeah. uh, and, and even purchase price. And uh, so it's, there's not one answer, really. Um, and there's always, there's always a point at which it doesn't make sense anymore. There's always a point at which I can add more cost yeah. to my machine to get more efficiency, but that's a tiny amount of efficiency for a very large increase in cost. So yeah. you still need to know what that what that trade-off is is and where the, the sensible point, what's the optimal point to choose. Yeah. Yeah, the, the law of diminishing returns. 
Exactly. Yeah. So, so what does um, in terms of the future for for motor design as a business and and for you personally, what does that hold? Where where do you see yourselves going in the next couple of years? Yeah. So, I mean, the market's continuing to develop and grow, you know, really really quickly. Um, we're working really hard just to, to keep up with it. Working with our customers and our partners to you know, push the boundaries of electric motor design. Um, and, and obviously it's driven a lot by the automotive sector, which we've talked a lot about today, but it's that's not the only area that we're working in. We're definitely seeing a, a strong interest in the electrification in the aerospace sector as well. Uh, so this is propulsion uh, applications, uh, vertical takeoff, um, more electrification of aircraft or hybrid aircraft and, and different things. So uh, I'm sure we're going to end up doing a lot of work in that that area in the future uh, as well. Wow, and that, that's that's a a real that's a huge new market that's emerging. Do, does MDL get involved much in kind of robotics and that kind of systems, or is that more a conventional motor technology? Yeah, um, we've had some interest in that, but yeah, again, I, I think you know that that will that will come at some point. Cool. And in terms of just in general now, thinking sort of slightly outside of the company, coming up in the next few years, what what are what are the things that are getting you excited in terms of what's is is happening around us and and what's coming? I guess you know we see a lot a lot of a lot more uh, development of of different vehicles. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of interesting uh, competition come out. Uh, soon, so I'm I'm very enthusiastic to see uh, what all of our customers have been working on uh, the past couple of years, and, and when that comes onto market. And and as we talked about earlier, I think we're going to see a real uh, mixture of different concepts and different ways of of creating differentiation between their their offerings. Yeah. Uh, and and we're going to end up with some some really nice vehicles. I think you know from from within the company, some of the stuff that we're doing, we starting to do more and more large scale uh, simulation and optimization. So uh, using the sim or leveraging the simula- simulation tools to generate you know really large data sets explore that design space look at thousands and thousands of different design configurations yeah uh, and understand the system level trade-offs and and try to enable engineers to have access to this and understand this data in a way that is not really possible at the moment is that starting to get into the territory of sort of ai and um, machine learning for adaptive design yeah i i don't know about that necessarily but definitely you know it's it's a lot of the cutting edge data processing visualization techniques and and how we can use those and leverage those to help us in the design process Um, but you know uh, as far as I can see at the moment, you know, the design aspects are always going to be driven by an electric machine designer or an engineer and the tools and the simulation and the intelligent, any intelligence that the sort of computing can offer will be uh, as an aid to those designers rather than just, you know, doing the, the, the whole thing for them. Yeah. It's a huge, I mean, one of one of the big challenges that we see and a lot of people that we talk to see, you know, there's a, there's a huge shortage of talent of people because basically we're in an era of electrification of pretty much everything and where you know even light bulbs have got power electronics and embedded software in these days so the demand for um, engineers 
who know about power, who know about machine design, electromagnetics, etc., is is really really high in in any number of industries. Ways of kind of um, getting around that because it doesn't seem like you can do much to increase the supply quickly because mm-hmm. it's a long process of you know right back to kids at school and getting them interested in science and engineering, but ways of kind of simplifying the design process and making it more you know so people can achieve more with with uh, what they've got basically team wise seems to be quite a big area of opportunity at the moment yeah and i guess that's i mean that is a lot of what we do as well and what's unique about uh, you know our software tool we build a lot of our expertise into that so a lot of the knowledge of how to set certain simulations up or configure things or uh you know how to choose certain uh, parameters uh, is is embedded in the software and that's that's the expertise sort of uh, built into it and it's something that you wouldn't get with a yeah. sort of a more general physics based solver yeah. um so having some of that design expertise in there and i guess that's that's part of the reason why you know we're quite successful in doing what we're doing is that there's a lot of people who having to adopt and learn electric machine design and having tools uh, which capture a lot of the sort of existing knowledge uh, in them is very helpful. Yeah, you you could have um, remember like the old Microsoft Word uh, talking paperclip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you could have you and some of your colleagues kind of popping out of the screen, talking heads, uh, giving people advice on their designs. I think that's a feature you could accommodate in the software in the future. Yeah, I, I think um, I'll I'll think about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah brilliant well um we've just gone slightly over so thanks very much for for taking the time out today james to do this Uh, i really appreciate it no Uh, problem and all the best for the future thank you very much okay that's all we've got time for today thank you very much for taking the time out and listening to this episode we really appreciate it we hope it's brought you some value Uh, don't forget if you've got any questions or things you'd like to know more about please uh, feel free to send those to us uh, via the usual channels you can find those in the show notes below links through to our website and social media feeds etc please 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 um, hit like leave us a rating for the show it really helps us in terms of the ratings and rankings share the show with other people that also helps us we're doing quite well at the moment uh, we're in the top 10 in north america uh, number six in the uk for technology podcast so that's awesome we'd love to keep that up bringing more value um, and engineering knowledge to people all about vehicle electrification um, so if you could help us do that i'd really really appreciate it uh, like i said that's all we've got time for today so i look forward to speaking to you again soon